Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your resource for Karate Kid and Cobra Kai recaps, reviews, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Canaday, and... I'm your host, Jenny Carlson. And we come to you (laughs) once again on the eve of... Greatness. Greatness. Yeah, doing stuff. Um, (laughs) You know, it's just another night during the quarantine doing our thing, and we're here to recap episode three of Cobra Kai. But first, I thought I would just talk to you about goings-on and those aforementioned items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. Okay. There is, well, specifically... More than Miyagi, the documentary. Yes. It's in our queue. It is. We are going to see it. We're going to review it. It just dropped. Yes. It just dropped in our timeline. So, yeah, I don't know if we'll take a break from this season or just save it as a special treat after this season because uh, we don't know when season four is coming. So we may have to vamp for quite a while um, before that happens. We will definitely be covering it, though. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely on our list. Uh, so no worries there. Um, yeah, as far as every everything else is concerned, uh, the the Cobra Kai hype train just keeps on rolling. It sure does. Um, you know, all the other podcasts as well as ourselves are deep into their recaps of this season. So uh, they're definitely worth checking out. We're worth checking out on our Twitter at Karate Kid Pod. Yes, uh, where we're uh, holding up our end with. Uh, those aforementioned items of interest from all around the Miyagi verse. <laughs> and occasionally snarky tweets. Yeah. So if you like this show, if you want to see this podcast grow, uh, please check us out there. Rate and review us on iTunes. Tell your friends. But we don't advertise anywhere right now. Your so. word of mouth is our currency. Indeed. Indeed. So with that housekeeping out of the way, would you like to get stuck in with our latest episode of Cobra Kai? I mean, I'm down. Of course, the faster we go through them, the less we'll have later. But that's okay, because it's a delightful show. It is really feast or famine in the Miyagi-verse. Fortunately, we have a sumptuous feast in season three. It's true. The banquet is set. Let us begin. And with that, here we go with Cobra Kai Season 3, Episode 3. Now Now you're you're gonna gonna pay. pay. a reference to the time that Johnny is beating Daniel up in the Karate Kid. After Logos, the first thing we get is an opening on Bobby's church. Speaking of throwbacks to the Karate Kid, there he is, Bobby the OG Cobra, preaching from the pulpit about forgiveness. This is probably our toughest battle, but listen. Pastor Bobby is giving a sermon on forgiveness. Which I have called out as the theme of this season. That is true. You have definitely called that. He is... Basically talking about forgiveness in other forms, forgiveness of others, forgiveness of yourself. If God can forgive, then so can you. Except that Johnny, who walks in looking like a Yeti with a brown paper bag of booze in his hand, says this is... Bullshit. What about that time in Reno with those soccer moms at the Hyatt? God forgive any of us for that. So apparently, Pastor Bobby has a checkered past. This Yeti is definitely no cooler. He's interested in heating things up as he wanders drunkenly down the main aisle of the church. Trying to hit on ladies. He's clearly broken because Miguel told him to get out last time, right? That's what's going on. Bobby's saying my friend here is going through hard times. Johnny is saying that Bobby was a real badass back in the day, but 
uh, news for you, Johnny. Bobby's still a badass. That's because that's because Ron Thomas is a sensei in real life. Yeah, Johnny's and, definitely feeling dejected and rejected. Yeah, and he wants the entire congregation to know it, which Bobby is is trying to get him to stop, but of course Johnny's refusing. How many times I gotta tell you? There's really only one choice for Bobby, and that is to sweep the leg. Bobby is also one pinky ring away from Las Vegas bouncer as he kind of straightens his suit at the end of that shot. Very nice. With that swept leg, we get the credits for Cobra Kai, and then we cut to juvenile detention, where Robbie is reading Lord of the Flies while some kids come in and bully another guy at another table. And Robbie looks taken aback by this, wants to ask the guy if he's okay. It's clear that Robbie is thinking in Miyagi-Do terms at this point, which is helping people out, being defensive. Yeah, Robbie is reading Lord of the Flies a little on the nose. It is. But I mean, if he just can finish the book, then he'll learn that there are some important lessons. That's true. <laughs> in reverting to wildness or imaginary wildness. I said, that's our table, homie. Yeah, but it looks like the end of that book is a long way away and Robbie just, just got to detention. Uh, he really should kick somebody's ass on the first day. Kick someone's ass the first day, then everything will be all right. He's yeah. instead he's gonna take a call. Robbie King, phone call. Hello? Robbie, hi. Oh, it's so Daniel LaRusso, the last person that Robbie wants to talk to. So he hangs up the phone. What else are you going to do? Well, what else are we going to do but cut away to LaRusso Auto Van Nuys where we see Daniel getting hung up on. Well, Daniel says... He thinks I betrayed him. I mean, Amanda insists that... He would have got a much harsher sentence if he had. Which, you know, for Daniel, says that doesn't make this any easier because, of course, Robbie's still angry at him no matter what. And this is a nice segue for Amanda to say, yeah, but people come around. She's come around about Louie who has returned to LaRusso Auto after being fired a couple seasons ago, is now a decent car salesman. Yeah, guess what, everybody? Louie is back, much to Amanda's chagrin. But Who could resist with three showrunners from New Jersey? Of course we were going to get Louie back. Amanda also shares with us... I had marketing scrap all the karate tie-ins just to give us a little distance with the school fight. So That means no more kicks, no more sweeps. No more bonsai trees. What's going to happen to all those bonsai trees? Bonsai trees. Well, I mean, technically they could still give those away. Those aren't directly karate related. That's true. As Daniel digests that information, we see Tom Cole walking up with a noosh on his heels. Tom Cole doing some projecting as he walks up and lectures Daniel about how no one wants to buy cars from a bully. He also says that it's a problem that they're using a Keurig rather than an espresso. And my question is, why are they using coffee pods at all? Not only are those environmentally harmful, But it's a hypocritical double standard for Tom Cole to talk about that when he shamed Daniel for using a plant that needs a lot of water in his promotional ads. So Tom Cole is a complete scumbag, not only because he's snide and smug, but also because he doesn't actually care about the environment. He just acts like he does for marketing purposes. I'm not here to fight. That's uh, your domain. I'm here as a friend. Tom Cole suggests that Daniel's karate puts kids in comas, so he's gloating about the school fight. And he makes it clear that he's making an offer today to buy out their dealership. Tom's here to say that he wants the whole shebang. They think he means to buy a pity car when he actually means to buy the dealership out from under Daniel. I don't know what a pity car is, but I know that now we are at West Valley General where Sam is walking up to say hi to Miguel for the first time. And it's very awkward, and they clearly both still care about each other a lot. But, you know, it's hard to figure out what to say because, you know, of everything that happened. She 
wants to ask him how he's doing, but she knows that sounds weird. And he tells us he has a surgery on Friday with some doctor from out of state who supposedly works miracles. Yeah, they're teasing us a little bit here with the possibility of a blonde-haired doctor from out of state. They're also dropping the detail that the operation is going to cost a lot of money. While Miguel and Sam are making conversation, he looks at her arm and sees a scar on it, which he asks her. Is that from Tori? Oh, uh, yeah. It's really not that bad. You know, Sam says that's okay. It makes her look tough. And Miguel wants to apologize for that. But Sam says, you know, Tori went crazy. Miguel makes excuses for Tori. Tori's had a rough life. But that's when Sam says, Everybody's got a sob story. It doesn't give you a right to be a bully. Hmm. So this is the line that Sam says in the montage at the end of season two when they're training. Ah, yes. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not sure if that's something they reused or if they re reshot it with that now. I think they repurposed it and slid that line in here. It's such a great line. After she says it, she hands Miguel a card with an octopus on it that says, you octopi my thoughts, which is a reference to the time that she and Miguel used their tickets at golf and stuff to buy a giant plush octopus. Ah, yes, in the titular pulpo. So at this point, Sam has finally gotten her courage up to say she's sorry, and Miguel is telling her it's okay when who appears in the doorway but Hawk, looking like evil incarnate, tells Sam that she's got some nerve coming here after what her boyfriend did to him. Yeah, Hawk has come to toe the line for Cobra Kai and visit Miguel. She just says she wants to help. Uh, He says, Pretty sure you've done enough, princess. Of course the woman is blamed for the fact that the men are shittily treating her like property, right? Like, it's not her fault that the guys did this. And yet, she's made to pay for it. Of course, now she and Hawk have bad blood of their own, right? Well, now they've got bad blood. It used to be mad love, but now she's got bad blood. So take uh, a look what you've done. Uh, Cause baby, now we got bad uh, blood. Hey. So, Bobby's church. Bobby and Johnny are sitting on the edge of the pulpit. Johnny is still eating. After I joked about him being like Brad Pitt at Notions 11, he's now eating coffee cake. That's right. Yeah, Johnny's still a hungry boy, for, even from the previous episode. Exactly. He's still not full inside his heart. Insatiable. He's got a hungry heart. Indeed. Johnny's opining that he taught them to be tough and to show mercy. Uh, he thought he was doing the right thing. Bobby replies, uh, you were. you got to remember, you don't do the right thing because it always works out. You do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Johnny can't get in because of his record, but Bobby is willing to help him out and get him in because Bobby's a pastor. Um, Bobby tells Johnny that he needs to do some positive things. Well, I mean, they're really taking their time with this scene, really allowing it the space it needs to play out. Yeah, it wouldn't be realistic if Johnny didn't have someone to talk to. So the fact that he can talk to Bobby about this is very grounding and also helps us see what pain he's in and that he's really trying to do right by both of the kids. Um, You know, so Bobby's going to help him get in to see Robbie. And he's saying that the church can probably make a nominal donation to help Miguel out. So they're still paying to fix their roof, which anytime a church is in a film or TV show, I swear to God, they always have a bad roof. Like in Sister Act, the roof. Is this possibly an Easter egg to Sister Act? Do we not know that this is Whoopi Goldberg part of the Miyagi verse? You in danger, girl. Anything's possible. There could be singing nuns here. That would be fun. The other thing I'd like for this scene and possibly for the rest of the episode is a Miguel's surgery counter on in the bottom corner <laughs> of the screen because Miguel mentions that it costs a lot of money in the first scene and then we get Pastor Bobby's church kicking in some money. So I'd like to see like... 
when yeah. it sound. Yeah, exactly. I want to. I want to see the. I want to see the cash value pile up as later we're gonna go to the car wash. We're gonna go get some money from some other sources. So I, I, a counter would be real helpful in this stage. There's also some useful sort of lampshading and setup because Bobby says, "What about your your stepdad? Right? We know that Johnny has a really rich stepfather." But Johnny says that would be his dream come true, me groveling. So Johnny has already put that aside. He's not going to do that. Boy, Billy Zabka really kind of looks like Robert Redford here. The next time I say let's go someplace like Bolivia, let's go someplace like Bolivia. Next time. Anyway, he says he's going to figure something out. And Bobby has unending faith in Johnny and says he knows he will. It's nice to see them having this talk. Meanwhile, back at the dealership, Daniel and Amanda are looking over a nicely bound contract that Tom Cole has given him to sell the dealership. Tom is calling Daniel Danny Boy, which anytime someone calls Daniel Danny, you know that they're not really friends. Yeah, he says, I believe in karma. What goes up over a balcony must come down. No one wants to do business with a bully. He is Tom the Cole worst. is really putting the screws to Daniel in this one. Yeah, but at least we finally get to hear Ralph Macchio say the words, I am not a bully. Anyway, yeah. Daniel tells Tom Cole they're doing just fine. Yeah, but this deal is like me trying to get turnips at the end of the week in Animal Crossing. Tom Cole's saying, you know, this is not a great deal, but you better cash out now before all those turnips go rotten. The worst. Mm-hmm. So Daniel and Amanda are considering that, and then we cut to the sidelines where Anoush and Louie are, are slowly creeping their way back to their old banter. I can't believe you go work for that Mama Luke. That is... The most Goomba thing you've ever said. Uh, once these two get together, their old dynamic kind of returns. Take it easy, okay? That's not your word. That's our word. Is it, though? As the Statler and Waldorf of this franchise. The Statler and Waldorf of car salesmen, at least. Personally, I don't care for puppets much. I don't find them believable. I don't believe you! <laughs> well, Louis from New Jersey, and I think Anoush just wants to get in on the fun. They're trading vaguely insulting slang words with each other, but they're slowly getting back into their old repartee. Louis talking about how he's going to find a new place to live, but now that he's got some job stability, but Anoush says, I wouldn't be so sure about that. And that's when we learn that it's not just that Tom Cole is buying out the dealership. Cole just signed an exclusive deal with Deona International in Tokyo. They distribute all the major Japanese car companies. He persuaded Deona to drop Daniel after the karate fight. That's something that Daniel and Amanda don't know. We can see them listening to Tom Cole, and they don't realize that Daniel's contract is going to be voided. Anoush is here with the hot goss. Cole is getting an exclusivity deal, and that is bad news for LaRusso Auto. Then we see Cole leaving and summoning Anoush, who he calls Farouche, because he doesn't care who anyone is, and it almost sounds like Barouche from Pride and Prejudice. Cut to the car wash that Miyagi-Do is having for Miguel. Uh, to raise money for his surgery because Sam knew about that. So all of the students at West Valley High, at least all the ones who Miyagi-Do are talking to, are out washing cars. Apparently this is a Miyagi-Do-sponsored car wash because Sam is kind of going from car to car giving all the kids pointers on how to wax on, wax off. Yeah, this is kind of a strange scene because, like... It's a very strange scene. Sam thanks Moon for bringing the cheerleaders because they're definitely attracting customers. Then adds that she thought Moon was a feminist. To which Moon says, Our bodies are an expression. Yeah, this is real awkward. Moon is once again the liberal straw person as Sam kind of gives her an eye roll. Yeah, this scene wants to kind of have the joke on everyone, but it doesn't entirely work, at least not for me, because 
it's strange that the bodies are brought in in any sense, but there's a little bit of like a Judd Apatow kind of vibe to this or appropriately sort of American pie where they kind of want to get near that, but they don't. It's weirdly noncommittal about it. Yeah. I mean, they're admitting the car wash is being sold on sex appeal. And then the show dials it up when uh, some guys pull up, obviously hoping for cheerleaders. And then Chris, who is one of the more corpulent members of Miyagi-Do, smushes himself on the windshield. It's very strange because there's sort of like a body shaming element there. To everyone except Chris, he looks like he's having a great time. I know. Chris is having the last laugh on all of you people. Exactly. But, you know, it's it's all in good fun. So while all that is happening, Hawk and Mitch roll up and decide that they're just using Miguel as their poster child, not that they actually, you know, care about Miguel. I mean, it's literally true. He is on their poster. No, but But like... how can you really, you know, yeah. What a narcissist. It's not about your dumb karate rivalry, dude precisely cut to receipt of flats receipt of flats where johnny is getting ready for he looks like he's gonna go defend the all valley tournament yeah he's busted out his one suit and his one briefcase and he's rushed over to uh a real awkward job interview he's got a 90s tie anyway he's talking to this guy uh who says that johnny's resume you have extensive computer experience politifact is yeah i'm pretty sure i remember how to get on the internet Pants on fire with that one. PolitiFact equals Johnny knows how to get on the internet, and that's a big deal for Johnny. But you don't need internet skills to move furniture, which is what Johnny is interviewing for, right? He's explaining to the guy that he's doing this for a... He's this kid. He's going through a big surgery. His family needs a scratch. And the guy interviewing him says he has a lot of what they're looking for, but he hasn't filled out the stuff about his background check. Like, he doesn't mention if he's had any prior arrests. And, you know, you can tell from Johnny's expression, the guy says, hey, we're just a couple of guys talking here. Like, what are you dealing? What are we dealing with? And he assumes it's going to be like a DUI or petty theft. Unfortunately, if Johnny was to open that briefcase right now, you would find it's full of red flags because he then goes into his actual history and gets it all off his chest. We've got public intoxication. Assault and battery. Assault and battery. Destruction of property. Assaulting a minor. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Technically multiple minor. Kids were real pricks. <laughs> Johnny says, but this, this, this show is doing one of my favorite things, which is when a, when a self-unaware character just begins talking and is using a thing that is compromising him as their therapy session, right? It was really good to talk about this, actually. The next scene we see is Johnny getting in the car, slamming that briefcase that he's been carrying around since season one as an Easter egg to Daniel's suitcase in the karate kid mm-hmm. and he's looking at the classifieds where he's x'd out all the options the only one he has left is potentially being an exotic dancer you love to see it but unfortunately that is not in the cards for johnny today we're gonna have to put a pin on that because we've got to get over to juvenile detention robbie we- is eating something that looks like sort of a beanie lentily gruel substance and he's watching tv they have a really nice flat screen in juvenile detention i mean it's probably the only nice flat screen in the whole place so why not but sam is on tv representing miyagi Do out at that car wash wasn't it a miyagi Do student who put miguel diaz in the hospital and she is saying that that was an accident I hope so. Uh, and she also says that... I just know that Miguel needs our help. So Robbie overhears that when Sean, the chief bully, comes up to threaten him. And Sean intuits that that is Robbie's girlfriend. And then starts making suggestive comments about Sam preferring other dudes. Sound like Manila not her flavor no more. She got a taste for that one shot, though. Like Miguel and maybe him. Thinking maybe she'd be drinking that dark roast next. Sean is played by Okeme Aquari. I mean, I just have to say, is the Valley one giant small town? Like, how does everyone know everything about everyone? 
I think you just answered your own question. The valley is a small town. It is as small as Hill Valley or anywhere else where it's just like everybody knows who Daniel is. And now everybody knows who Johnny is if they didn't already. I need a Laney gossip, but just of the Miyagi-verse. Anyway, Sean continues to uh, strike out at Robbie until he provokes Robbie into a fight. Yeah, Robbie did not obey the traditional wisdom and kick someone's ass on the first day, so now he is seen as a target. Well, Robbie says his karate is about self-defense. Right. But that's when Sean, you know, takes a hold of him and begins hitting him to, to draw him out. And Robbie puts up a good fight, but it's like a gang against him in juvenile detention. And so as he's getting knocked on the ground, thrown on the table, like, these aren't stunt people. This is actually Tanner and Okia getting thrown around. And of course... The alarm sounds and everyone goes into lockdown after entirely too long a fight. You'd think this would have kicked in very quickly, but apparently nobody was watching this cafeteria very closely. Yeah, Robbie just sort of like sprawls there like a kick dog and, and looks like he's in extreme pain, both heart pain and, you know, body pain. Speaking of pain, let's get over <laughs> to the pawn shop where... Uh, this is such a good running gag. We've got Matt Borlingi back as Lyle. Um the pawn shop owner from season one. But it's a different pawn shop. That's because every pawn shop has on Lyle. He's the Agent Smith of the Miyagi-verse. Ooh. Mr. Anderson. He can't believe that Johnny is still trying to sell him that same box of crap that he's been schlepping around since seasons one. Oh, but it's not quite the same box of crap. It's now got the laptop that Johnny bought from him in the first season on top. Yeah, well, Johnny says it ran out of juice, and Lyle just wants to know, did Johnny even plug it in? He said it was wireless. Yeah, Wireless, as in, never mind. Lyle is now kind of being press-ganged back into being Johnny's tech support as he tells Johnny that he needs to keep it charged because wireless doesn't mean wireless everything. We're not quite there yet, Johnny. Johnny says to Lyle, you know, Lyle, who's always saying that Johnny's stuff is crap, you know, you've got nothing but crap too, so what's the difference? And Lyle says, simple. My crap has value. Johnny says he's got a 93 Dodge Caravan. (laughs) With a tape deck. And Lyle says that... Uh, after taking a quick scrub through the blue book to GTFO. It says, yes, get the hell out of my shop. So Johnny's got to go find someone with valuable stuff. Much more valuable stuff. Well, Lyle Hmm. tells him he better find someone who does. Who could Johnny know who has valuable things? Who indeed? Cut to LaRusso Auto. Uh, Where Louie, Amanda, and Daniel are now kicking back some... Very nice whiskey. That looks like scotch. Uh, Yeah, it's McKellen scotch whiskey. Daniel's just back from an Intel lunch with Anu. She finally got that lunch that he'd been angling for. Good news. Anu's just speaking to him again. But bad news, Daniel is also hitting the booze. It's all the truth. Cole leaned into the bad press, and he's going to be exclusive with Doyona going forward. Doyona is apparently a big deal for Daniel because they manage all the Japanese cars in the valley. And... Without a selection of fine Japanese autos to deal with, Daniel and the dealership are sunk. Daniel's American dream is dead. So, of course, Louis being Louis says that they got to go deal out some Jersey justice to Tom Cole. But, of course, Amanda's not into that because of what happened the last time. Amanda is, as ever, the voice of reason, except this time we don't want to hear what she has to say because she's telling Daniel the only choice they have is to sell to Cole. Amanda's going by good Animal Crossing logic. 
You gotta unload those turnips on Saturday afternoon if you haven't by then, even if they're at like 46 bells, because by Sunday morning those turnips have gone rotten and you're never gonna get rid of them. And it's a bad deal and Tom Nook's gonna be all over your ass. Not Tom Cole, not Tom Nook. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, indeed. Uh, anyway, back to the valley. So Daniel, meanwhile, is walking slightly away to gear up for a massive monologue about the meaning of this business and why he has done it. And it's because... You know, when I was a kid, I wanted my own car so bad. My mom had the station wagon. It was such a piece of junk. And then Mr. Miyagi gave me that 47 Ford. And ever since, I've been in love with cars. Yeah, Daniel gets a lovely little monologue here, complete with video support, kind of connecting the dots from what we know of the Karate Kid movies. And then when he finally got... The banana boat from Mr. Miyagi. That was a beautiful car and a wonderful gift. And he's always cherished the banana boat. And that just kind of started him down this road of enjoying the automotive lifestyle, I guess you would call it. Well, um, since then, he's been in love with cars. And he says, I just wanted to give those customers that same sense of excitement I had when I got my first car. To the point where Miyagi even pushed him into being a car salesman. He was so passionate about it. Daniel said that he thought car salesmen were sleazy. And of course, Louis says, It's such a bullshit stereotype. Because Louis is, in fact, the stereotype. But now we get to hear Daniel quoting Mr. Miyagi. And he says, Mr. Miyagi said that a man who works for passion is always richer than a man who works for money. And as Daniel's talking, we can see Amanda mouthing along with the words. So she's heard this speech a hundred times. Amanda is ever the voice of a reason and she's saying passion in one hand cars in the other see which one piles up first without a plan they're still going nowhere fast and i don't want to lose it but the writing's on the wall well it's really hard to hear courtney hangler play sad amanda because you know she's so affirmative like she says she loves what they what they built here she loves that they did it together she looks so sad and they both look so lost you know, this is one of those moments where they really, you can see the chemistry that these characters have. And now she's going to take Louie off to go work on inventories because there's really not much else they can do right now. Daniel just sort of is looking really distraught. And then he looks over his shoulder and sees. What does he see, Jenny? The bonsai tree. The that bonsai tree. Bonsai tree. The bonsai tree. The bonsai tree. Bonsai. Hey, we flash back on Mr. Miyagi telling Daniel to concentrate and, and only think of the tree. Right? This is one of the best scenes in the original Karate Kid. Uh, the editors on this episode are really going for it. We get some split scenes in the previous scene, and then we get this amazing, like, match cut transition back to the present. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, it's super rad. Where Daniel can still feel Mr. Miyagi standing beside him. So mm -hmm. he looks like he's found a little inner peace. As we cut back to juvenile detention, where Robbie walks in to find the bullies standing over his bed. They've taken his pillow away. And Sean says, you don't mind, do you? And, of course, Robbie's, like, avoiding eye contact because he's not going to have this fight. He's looking pretty beat down by them. We return to detention where Robbie's own Shawshank redemption continues. His prison LARP is getting very real as he is threatened by Sean again. Soft-ass bitch. Super cool. And Robbie's sitting there looking diffident and avoiding eye contact as they walk off. All right, listen up. One of the guards comes in. Visitation tomorrow. Of course, Robbie walks up quickly saying, who's visiting me? Because, you know, Robbie doesn't want to talk to Daniel. And the guard actually says it's Lawrence, comma, John. Mr. John Lawrence to see you, sir. Tanner Buchanan's face here. Like, he, like, looks kind of moved and, and almost choked up at the realization that Johnny's going to come visit him. Meanwhile, speaking we, of awkward visits, we cut to Sid's house, the place where Johnny grew up, as he walks into a foyer 
with very expensive looking art. Yes, indeed. We are back uh, with Sid, played by the venerable Ed Asner. Who is reading The Hollywood Reporter and muttering under his breath, Gender pay gap. He's really getting the opportunity to chew up the scenery as this uh, sadly familiar Hollywood producer stereotype, so, I'll say. So it's so funny. Also, you can just tell that the Cobra Kai production team has totally dealt with people like this in real life. And I love it when Hollywood productions or TV shows lampoon some of the jerks that the writers have met in real life. It's like when Peter Capaldi was working with Armando Iannucci to create the character of Malcolm Tucker, and he based Malcolm on a certain Hollywood producer who is now behind bars because of his abusive behavior and prolific obscenities. If you get sarcastic with me again, and I will stuff so much cotton wool down your throat, it'll come out your ass like the wee tail on a Playboy bunny. Mmm. Like, <laughs> the same thing is happening here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some, yeah, some common sources are getting mined for sure. Exactly. So Sid is, of course, feigning interest in Johnny's dojo and concern after what happened to Miguel. And I'd hate for anything to jeopardize Another payday. I didn't think we would be ever seeing Sid again. I know Johnny probably didn't think we would ever be seeing Sid again. But here we are back at Johnny's stepfather's home trying to get just a little bit of money. Again, I could really use that Miguel surgery money counter in the bottom corner of the screen because this... I feel like this piece from Sid is going to be a major contribution as well. Yeah, we'll see how the piece comes, right? Because right now Sid is not budging. But Miguel doesn't deserve what happened to him, and I need to make that right. Yeah, with my money. He just wants to berate Johnny for being a crappy role model, first to Robbie, now to Miguel. Pope John Lawrence, the first, yeah, healer of children. Uh, you know, and Johnny says, well, are you going to help me out? And Sid doesn't care. You know, all Sid sees is that Johnny wants another payday. He is the worst. Bravo, bravo, bravo. Are you going to help me or not? Sid just wants to play with Johnny like a cat with a mouse right now, just kind of teasing and taunting before he, like, slams the door shut in Johnny's face. Yeah, I mean, and Sid also, it's interesting. Sid sets some interesting stuff up, like he tells Johnny he's a loser just like his father. Because, And then Sid adds that, you know, at least he's stuck around. And Johnny says this great line. Sticking around being a bully isn't much better than leaving, but I'm trying to do better. It's interesting here. Like, you can tell in this exchange that that Johnny, you know, walked in that room already knowing Sid wouldn't give him a dime. Like, he's resigned to this, and he's just coming from a place of self-righteousness and dealing with this guy, going through whatever he has to go through to fulfill his objective. Indeed. Well, Johnny has one more play here, which is to try and get tough with Sid a little bit. Johnny threatens... Because I'd hate for that little incident with your secretary. Get out to the public. You know, start one of those hash brown me too things. But Sid is unrelenting. He's a sleazebag. Johnny knows he's a sleazebag. He knows he's a sleazebag, and so he is unmoved. Sid is not scared of the hash browns. That man probably has extremely clogged arteries at this point, and he does not care. Exactly. So Sid tells him to get the hell out, and Johnny does, which, without looking as crestfallen as uh, Billy Zabka can make him look, but he does tell. But as Johnny walks out through that foyer full of art, we hear some cool music as Johnny swipes. One of the shiniest looking artifacts off of a plinth. Hopefully that was an expensive one because Miguel's going to need that money. Speaking of Miguel and the, his surgery money, we cut back to the car wash as... Nate's trying to get on his Miyagi Turbo bike and ride off with all the car wash money when... 
all of a sudden the Cobra Kai's roar up on motorbikes, which is a wonderful little callback to the Karate Kid. Uh, we see Mitch taking the money and telling Nate while Hawk holds him in a chokehold that they will tell Miguel that the money came from Cobra Kai. These kind of scenes really upset me. Like, I just can't handle it. Miguel gets the money at the end of the day either way. So it's really just a pointless exercise in bullying, which is, you know. Why de- we have this show. It's de rigor for Cobra Kai. So it is. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the dealership, it's evening time and Tom Cole has arrived with Anoush in tow yet again. Tom Cole is gloating, saying, No matter how you wash it down, failure never tastes good. But at the end of the day, it's just business. And Amanda and Daniel are just kind of taking it while Cole gloats. And then Daniel says, We looked at the offer in front of us and realized there's only one choice. Pepsi, the choice of a new generation. And then he hands Cole the little binder with the contract in it. And Cole begins to, you know, smarmily say he's going to treat this place with the utmost respect which you know he doesn't mean, continues to call Anoush Farouche and says he's looking at the new owner of LaRusso Van Nuys. Mm, not so fast, Tom. Except for the fact that Amanda directs him to look at... We made some adjustments. Look at that. Page nine? What is on page nine but a hand-drawn bird sign? And not a bird as in put a bird on it. It's as in being flipped the bird. Exactly. So now Cole is trying to tell Daniel about his exclusive deal, but Daniel says back to Cole... We know all about that. With a little wink at Anoush... Who says that he forgot to tell Tom Cole that Daniel offered him his job back and he's going to take it because Daniel knows his name and isn't a complete douche clown. Exactly. Danadute, so, master of delivery. Indeed. So, yeah, Danadute and Anoush are now uh, back on the team. Uh, the band is back together. But to what end? Because uh, once Anoush comes back to the fold, he unfortunately gets the news flash from Daniel and Amanda that the plan is still in motion and may not work. Wait, wait, what? This isn't a sure thing? Anoush may have been under the impression that it was a lock. At least we got to hear Daniel called Tom Cole Tommy. Back at the LaRusso manse, Sam opens the door to find all the Miyagi-Do pals there looking for Daniel. Dimitri says that Cobra Kai took the money and in comes a bloodied Nate who says, They kicked the fucking shit out of me. He gave the F-bomb to Nate. It's so great. Mm-hmm. So now we're panning over the valley and we see... Back at West Valley General. Back at West Valley General and Johnny walks up with a check. He's not sure who to give it to and the woman wants to know if she can tell the family who it's from. Johnny wants to leave his name out of it and it looks like they're not going to find out except he turns around to see Carmen and Rosa there because Miguel's about to have his surgery. Yeah, there we go. See, now this is interesting. Whereas Cobra Kai is willing to beat the hell out of Nate to claim credit for Miguel's surgery money, Johnny wants to do it anonymously. Exactly. So anyway, it's still a little awkward between Carmen and Johnny. Johnny had said he was about to leave. Carmen thanks him for the money, but she has to go over and talk because the nurse says the surgeon has just come in from out of town. She's just drive from the airport. It looks like this woman with the glossy blonde hair might in fact be Elizabeth Shue because yes, there are fanfics with this scenario happening over on AO3, but no, it's just another woman, doctor, who happens yep. to have very alley-looking hair greeting Carmen. It's just a day player. Fortunately, she does get a few lines to Carmen, so she is going to get paid more than a regular extra. But yeah, she is. She's not. she's not a name in the Karate Kid universe, as far as I know. Not yet. At any rate, Johnny <laughs> turns to go. He has to be somewhere, i.e. he has to meet Robbie. But as he's walking off, Rosa stops him and says... Miguel, he needs you. You know, in English, which is not her first language. And she asks him to stay and to pray with them. 
I mean, how can he say no to that? That's right. Who can say no to Rose Bianco? I couldn't do it. Anyway, he follows her in. Meanwhile, back at juvenile detention, we see Robbie and Bobby waiting for Johnny to no avail. Yes, Robbie and Bobby are waiting for Johnny. But Johnny just does not show. But Bobby and Robbie will continue to wait for Johnny. Until Robbie finally says no. It's obvious that Johnny's not coming, and Robbie can barely contain his rage. It's not coming. I know it. Bobby is trying to, to talk him down, but like Bobby knows that Johnny's really screwed up this time. Meanwhile, back at Miyagi-Do, as in Mr. Miyagi's house, they're walking into the yard, all of the Miyagi-Do students. Cobra Kai's never stopped training. And so they're going to have to catch up. If that means her taking the reins, she's ready. Yeah, this is interesting that Daniel is now officially out of office and Sam is able to call a Miyagi-Do quorum, which I didn't know was in the bylaws, but apparently this is something Sam has the power to do. Of course she does. I am now Senpai, which is Assistant Sensei. Assistant to the Sensei, that's pretty cool. Assistant Sensei. Sam wants to get Miyagi-Do back in training, um, much like the Police Academy gang. Who is the tackleberry of this gang? Oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say it's probably... It's probably Dimitri. I was gonna say Dimitri, too. He's got all the weird hacks. It's either that or it's either him or Chris. Yeah, I also thought of Chris. Hmm. Hmm. We'll, we'll think about this more. We'll have a complete rundown of who would be who in the Police Academy universe. Well, Daniel is definitely Commandant Lassard. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm not sure who the goot is. Hmm, who is the goot? I think that this and Police Academy are definitely in the same universe. I think Robbie is... Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Police Academy definitely took place in the same universe as Karate Kid, absolutely. He thinks he's Bruce Lee. Daniel, wanna fight, huh? Fight me! And Nate says, what if your dad finds out? And Sam says, he won't. Where is Daniel, Colin? Where is Daniel indeed? We cut to seeing him in a waiting room. Yes. The next scene is Mr. LaRusso in a waiting room in scene 20. And he's welcomed by a friendly woman of Japanese descent. And as we pan out, we realize that Daniel has hopped the plane to Tokyo, Japan. Thus concludes Cobra Kai season three, episode three. Now you're going to pay. Now you're going to pay. So, Colin. Yes. Aren't you going to ask me the question? So, Jenny, (laughs) what are your thoughts on this episode? I thought this episode was okay. Like, I was already in anticipation for Okinawa. So I was just like, when are we going to, what's going to get us there? And as soon as the, the car dealership became the issue, I got really excited um, watching that, I felt the momentum building, and it was good to see Anoush back. Even though Louis is irritating, it was good to see that Louis had some character development as well. Anyway, what were you going to say? How, how- I agree with that. I think I always love the band getting back together as a story beat. It's one of my favorites. It always feels good whenever it happens. So yeah, seeing the LaRusso auto team get back together, seeing Miyagi-Do have their quorum at the end of this episode felt good it feels like there's movement it feels like things are happening there's a lot of moving and shaking it doesn't feel as intense as those first two episodes because miguel is still in the hospital but he's stable robbie's now 
safely contained in jail, uh, at least from the other character's perspective. Robbie knows that he's in constant danger, which is not great, but it's tense, but not as white-knuckle tense as it had been over the previous two episodes. Yeah, that's true. And it's nice to see Bobby in that role at the beginning, sort of comforting Johnny, and to see sort of a a recouping of of Johnny's prior relationships, right? Between his relationship with Sid, we can see how much he's evolved from that. He already kind of knew going in that he was just there to swipe the art. That was all set up by the conversation with Bobby and then the conversation with Lyle at the pawn shop. Well, was he there to... Well, here's the thing. The way John... mm, I don't know. The way William Zabka plays it in that scene is that improvisation i think johnny went in expecting to be able to weasel at least a little bit more money out of sid and then turn to plan b when it didn't go his way i think that the deal with that is that they set up that sid had a lot of money they set up that you know we remember sid's house johnny said you know there's no way he would go to sid then when he talks to lyle and lyle says you better find someone who has valuable crap there's really only one person for Johnny, and that is Sid. I think that Johnny went in there, he looked neither as avoidant or as hurt by Sid as he has in the past. So I think that he went in thinking, all right, if Sid gives me money, cool. If not, I'm going to steal his art. Like, I think it was both and for Johnny. Because, like, when Sid told him no, he didn't beg or plead, really. Like, he just tried one idle threat and then bailed and stole the art. So I think the show set up that Johnny was planning on stealing something, and if he made off with money as well, great. Well, that's interesting. I would also turn this to our friends on social media. Hit us up on Twitter. Was Johnny's plan A to get the money from Sid or was plan A always to steal the art and then maybe also get money from Sid? Let us know what you think. That that was plan A. I'm confident. I'm sure you are, but I still want to hear from our listeners and find out what their hot takes are. Was the plan A and B? What I want to know is what did Lyle do when Johnny returned with that ridiculous kind of uber nambe looking sculpture? Just like, what on earth? Yeah. What did you I, think about that? It'd be very interesting to figure out <laughs> what Johnny's plan defense that thing was. Isn't that something you sort of take to... I mean, like, that's something you sell at Sotheby's. You know, if you were to bring it to Lyle, like, Lyle isn't the kind of black market art dealer that could help steal a stolen artifact. Look, we can go round and round about this all No, but day, I mean, this but, is very... This is art acquiring minds. You need to know. But the fact of the matter is, that points back to my point of that was not Johnny's plan A, because if Johnny's plan A was to take something valuable from Sid, he would have... I'm sure there's better stuff all around the house. He could have gone upstairs. He could have gone downstairs. He just grabbed the most shiny thing he saw on the way out the door. And then to your point, like, what did Lyle make of it? I feel like it's probably not that expensive, but it was, it's just like a nice piece of like lobby art. Uh, He could probably have sold it to a Hollywood prop house for them to keep around for a nice set. He could have sold it to one of the many hotels that are being built in central Austin as we speak. Could have done that too. What do you think this episode does in the season? Well, for me, I think the primary thing that it does is it raises the question of with Miguel and Robbie's issues sorted for the moment, at least we know Miguel's going to get a surgery. We know Robbie is behind bars for the time being. The main question this episode concerns itself with is what is Daniel going to do about the dealership and his part in the fallout from the great karate fight of 2019. (laughs) And the answer the show eventually comes up with is that Daniel is going to do 
what Daniel always does, which is try to solve the problem himself. In this case, by personally hopping on a plane, going directly to Doyona headquarters in Tokyo and trying to talk himself out of this situation. Will anything come of that? We'll have to wait till next episode to find out. It, it sets up a bunch, but it doesn't resolve anything with this episode. Yeah, I mean, what I would say, and I don't want to spoil the, the future episodes, but with the benefit of that knowledge and hindsight, what this episode is doing is setting up our main characters for the journey that helps them resolve a lot of past baggage so that they can then confront the final battles of this season, either literally or figuratively. For Johnny, it's admitting his his vulnerability and how upset he is to his friend, overcoming the need to be loved by Sid. He'll take what he can get because that was a toxic relationship, which he, using Johnny words, says is a toxic relationship, right? We see Sam who was trying to avoid things now going head on to try to lead Miyagi-Do because she knows that that things aren't going well. That will bring her sort of head on into more stress reactions. You bring up a great point because, yeah, this episode also continues Sam's backslide of very aberrant behavior for Sam. Like, she's always been, or at least the show has made the case for her being, like, a pretty upstanding, forthright person and... The way she's dealing with this stress is just lashing out. Yes. Which is not what you would have expected, except that she is a Russo, so she does have some of Daniel's temper in her, I guess. Well, I mean, she's not really lashing out that much this episode. She's organizing a car wash. Right. She's getting the Miyagi-Dos together to try and, you know, help Miguel. So it's more like she's... But at school, anytime other Cobra Kais are in the room, yeah, she that's is true. on edge. Well, because, you know, she has righteous anger towards them and can't handle the fact that they are being constantly seen as the victims. I said in the last episode, I believe that this show really doesn't like institutionalized anything. Like, it doesn't like institutional, except it likes institutionalized karate. But otherwise, like, you know, they have Counselor Blatt as the face of the sort of dumb liberal pedagogy that fails. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have... I We have Moon as, like, our liberal... As our straw, straw feminist. Yeah. yeah. We have Sid as our... Industry hypocrite. Industry, yeah. Like, oh, he's not even a hypocrite. He's just a vile man who sits on top of all the other people. The show is at least making good on the kind of behind-the-scenes promise that we'll treat all targets equally. It's like Moon and Sid are on exact opposite ends of the spectrum, like behaviorally and politically. Yeah. But they tr- the show seems to treat them both as kind of... Uh, is kind of target. The show really believes that if a person says that and they have money, then they have no leg to stand on, right? Mm-hmm. Because both Moon and Sid have money and they say all these things, but they're not like in the arena, as Theodore Roosevelt once said. Right. Like they're not actually having to fight these fights. You know, I have my feelings about that. I think the show will come to some balance with that, but for now it's still very much like poking, quote unquote, poking fun yeah. in ways that sort of... Oh man, when Moon joins Eagle Fang, look out. I know. But I mean, the one the one kind of bummer about that is that there is this sort of implication that people who are sincere, if sometimes hypocritical, are always coming at a thing in bad faith. And I don't think Moon is coming at something in bad faith the way Sid is, right? True. So that's the sort of danger of going down that path humor-wise. It definitely reveals the ethos of the show. Another thing I wanted to say is that you already mentioned that Daniel is going to go off and try to do this himself, but it reveals something about Daniel, which is that even the dealership was Mr. Miyagi's idea, 
right? Daniel heading off. I mean, to, technically, yes. Daniel heading off to save the dealership is sort of a last ditch pilgrimage to reconnect with Mr. Miyagi, even though it just so happens that it's in Japan. Like that's what his bonsai tree moment was. This is setting Daniel up, I think, for the final resolution of the thing he's been dealing with for two seasons, which is just being trapped in Mr. Miyagi's shadow. You know, that's something else that is coming to the fore. And finally, Robbie. Like Robbie is in is in juvie, and Robbie is trying to apply Miyagi-Do principles to a situation where the Miyagi-Do principles, as Daniel has taught Robbie, you know, that's not all of Miyagi-Do, but Daniel's lens on Miyagi-Do has not set Robbie up for this world. And that is just going to reinforce Robbie's crisis of faith in all of the nice things that happened with Daniel and Miyagi-Do. Even though there were bad things, there's a lot of good, but that's going to influence Robbie into letting go of it, I think. In terms of character moments, I think we've already covered quite a few but Okia M.A. Aquari really is the breakout of this episode. For sure. And he continues to be a presence throughout the, the season. Like, he is definitely a great heavy, a very good antagonist for Robbie. He plays it threatening but never cartoonish, which is exactly what you want to see in this kind of situation. So, yeah, definitely props to him. Do you have any Easter eggs that you would like to re- recap? I, I have one. I I I mean, it's it's so weird because it's like, what is an Easter egg when we're talking about Cobra Kai? But having said that, what is your big Easter egg for this episode? So my big Easter egg for this episode is when Tom Cole is flipping through the contract at the end of the episode, Daniel and Amanda have drawn like the up your sign. And that mm. is a lovely callback. To when Johnny gets drunk and sophomorically spray paints a dick on Daniel's face on the billboard in, oh, fair, yeah. in Cobra Kai season one, episode four. It's neat to see like Daniel begin to sort of synthesize the more chaotic elements of Johnny's personality. This show is able to poke fun at itself in a way that is completely natural to this character. That's the kind of thing that you never saw in the original Karate Kid movies. I mean, there was a lot of camp, but there wasn't like a lot of self-referencing humor. I, I feel like screenwriters didn't even think of those terms back when we were writing Karate Kids 1, 2, and 3. I think that will just about do it for our discussion for this episode. As I mentioned at the top of the show, if you like and enjoy this episode or any of our other episodes, if this is your first episode, definitely go back. Start at the beginning of the season. What are you doing? Start at the beginning of the series. What are you doing? Yes, definitely go back and listen to all our recaps of season one and two of Cobra Kai. Listen Listen to to our recaps of Karate Kids 1, 2, and part three. Yeah, save a couple of hours for those. No, wait till you're like out doing a bunch of yard work or something. We like to make a meal out of making these, so you should make a similar meal out of consuming them. Join our discussion on social media. We are always active at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter. We're always posting our new episodes on Facebook. If you want to see our podcast grow, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because that is the best way to improve our listening algorithm, I'm told. Sources say. But other than that, uh, word of mouth. If you know someone who likes Cobra Kai, definitely recommend this podcast to them and they can listen along with each episode. That's all I wanted to say for now. Anything else before we go? You know, all I can say is I really wonder what Lyle did with that piece of art. I wonder, too. Maybe we'll find out in season four. What's Pastor Bobby's sermon going to be about next week? I have to say it was so great to see him sweep the leg. On that note, our next episode will be Cobra Kai season three, episode four, The Right Path. The Right Path. I am Jenny Carlson. And I am Colin Canaday. We'll see you around the Miyagiverse. We'll see you around the Miyagiverse. Miyagiverse.
This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Kennedy and Jenny Carlson. Our music is by Chepo. You can find us at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter and wherever you download podcasts.